Father, this evening we just thank you. We thank you for your faithfulness, for your goodness, your mercy towards us. You've been so faithful, Lord, all these years. It was you who kept us. Tomorrow another year begins for us as a church. And as a church, we just surrender ourselves once again into thy hands. And we put our faith in you, in your faithfulness, in your goodness, in your power, in your strength. That the God who brought us thus far will also take us through the rest of the journey. For you brought us out to take us in. And we put our trust in you, Lord. I pray in this tenth year you will give us even more discernment. Years to truly, truly hear even the softest whisper from the Holy Spirit. That our flesh should be completely, completely dead to the pressures of the world. And the pleasures of the world. That we might hear what you have to say to us. Prepare us. Even tonight, Father, speak to us. Speak to us. Wait at your feet. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Many of the things uh, we keep hearing may be familiar, uh, but familiarity shouldn't bring uh, contempt. Okay, the Word of God, we should be extremely familiar with the Word of God. But always remember, we learn to honor and obey the, the Word of God. Because that's the way the Word of God works. Because if you look at the, the 27 books in the New Testament, after you take the five the four Gospels and the book of Acts, the remaining 22 letters are practically similar. It's hammering in the same truth over and over and over through different writers, the same spirit. It's the same truth over and over and over again. About grace, about faith, about sin, about overcoming sin, and about everything is kept for the overcomer. So we may hear it a 100,000 times, but it's doesn't matter, but it has to become life for us. So if you've been there, and if you haven't been there, and you've been logging in and listening to the messages, we know today is the 31st day of our fasting. And uh, the purpose of the fasting is to let the flesh die and the world lose its appeal completely so that we can actually hear clearer personally about God's destiny for each one of us. There is a corporate destiny he has for us, but individually, how does he want to lead us? That's the whole purpose, whole purpose. And one of the things which we learn as soon as we start fasting is suddenly we realize we are at war. Your flesh is at war with you. Everything seems to be at war with you. And know that, that we are at war. One of the fundamental tactics of winning a war is you need to know your enemy. You need to name your enemy. You need to identify your enemy. You need to understand your enemy and we need to know ourselves, our strengths and also our weaknesses. Otherwise we can never, never fight this battle. Okay, we need to have that discernment. Each one is different. The enemy doesn't attack everyone in the same area because he knows where we, we are weak and where we are strong. We need to know our enemy. We need to name our enemy. We need to identify our enemy. And we know over the weeks we have identified the enemies according to scripture. We have three enemies, two outside, the world and the 
devil and the powers of darkness. These two are outside. But like we have said over and over again, what is most dangerous is neither the devil nor the world. It is the enemy within that is the flesh. The flesh, our flesh. It's a very strange word in English. We have flesh and we have body. But in other languages, it is very difficult. In our Indian languages, it's very difficult. I don't know whether you have in in Telugu, you have a word for flesh and separating. The spiritual meaning that is, no, sharir or deh is in Hindi. But even then they don't get it. So you have to say sharir kalalas. Okay, still they don't get it. It's a very difficult thing, but in English, in KJV and other versions, it's very clear that it's a flesh within us with all its appeal, the lusts of the flesh and the body. The body is the container of the spirit, the soul and the flesh. So depending upon what to which we surrender. If we surrender the flesh, the flesh uses the body. If we surrender the spirit of God, he uses the body. That's a, that's the battle. So the greatest enemy all of us have is the flesh. That is the enemy within. If you look, if you, if you watch news and you cannot avoid watching news, you know what's happening in US. The, the chaos, the confusion. It's got to do with nothing that is actually happening in reality. It's happening because of the enemy within. There's the enemy within the state. The leakers in the White House, the leakers in the National Security Agency, there are leakers over there. They are creating the chaos. It's not Russia, it's not ISIS, it's none of them who's creating the chaos in the United States of America. It are the people who are within the system who are loyal to the ones who lost, who is creating the system. It's very easy to understand then, there is my flesh within who's loyal to the Satan and the world who has lost. And the flesh will always cooperate with the devil and the world to bring the new dispensation, the new administration down, which is Jesus Christ. Not Donald Trump, but Jesus Christ and his administration, the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you. And the flesh, scripture says, we don't have to turn there, but we know it by now, or you should know by now. In Galatians 5.17, the spirit fights the flesh and the flesh contends against the spirit and every day, especially these 31 days, all those who have joined in the fast will know how much the flesh hates fasting. But remember, when you and I believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, we were born again. But what we were not told then, we were born again into a battle. We were born again into a battle. The good news, scripture says, is we are born again to win, not to lose. We are born again to win and not to lose. In 1 John and chapter 5 and verse 4, scripture says, whatever is born of God, whatever, whether you are man, woman or eunuch, it doesn't matter. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world and this is the victory that has overcome the world. That is our faith. Whatever is born. And in the next verse, again it will say in 1 John, next verse, the next one. 1 John 4, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard was coming and it is now already in the world. The spirit of the Antichrist is sweeping from the time of the apostles now. It's only growing stronger and stronger and stronger. The powers of darkness taking over every area of human life. But God says, you are of God, little children. Even if you're a little child, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Against his powers of darkness. Even if you're a little child, 
You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. You don't have to worry. Those symbolic pictures are there in the Old Testament, how a little young teenager who comes from the wilderness is able to defeat the mighty Goliath. Because that is a symbol there. For us, the reason is because we are of God. And therefore, the one who is in us is greater than he is in the world. The reason we can be victorious and we are victorious or we can be victorious is because of who is in us. Understand this, there can never be a winner unless there is a battle. Those who don't fight never win any battles. And God's desire is that we let Christ fight the battle through us, in us and through us. If we allow him to fight, every time God says, victory is guaranteed. Because Christ has never lost a battle ever. If you fight in your strength, you are destined to lose. If you allow him to fight through you, you are always destined to win. And scripture says in Second Corinthians and chapter 2 and verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ. In Christ you are always victorious. He is making a demonstration of the victory of Christ even in the smallest child who is born again and believes and obeys and walks by faith. Through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. What is that knowledge? The knowledge of God's victory. That the powers of darkness have been defeated. Always leads us in triumph. And like I said, when you read these scriptures, you have to believe and and start taking those steps. In short, scripture is saying, we were ordained to win. And if we lose, we lose because of lack of knowledge. Or lack of, in the kingdom of God, in this church, it is not lack of knowledge, but it is a lack of interest in the knowledge we are exposed to. It can be both. You can have lack of knowledge, and you can have a lack of interest. Okay. There's only one way to win. In this, God's way. There is no other way. Christ showed us the way. And he is the way. Like Paul told the Galatian church, in chapter 3 and verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, that you should not obey the truth. The devil knows, if you obey the truth, that's walking by faith, he's, he's, he's lost. And he will lose in anybody's life every day. So he's asking the Galatian church, who bewitched you? This is sorcery. This is bewitchment. Who bewitched you from obeying the truth? This is the power of sorcery in this world. The spirit of the Antichrist through sorcery, witchcraft, real. Because scripture, we know this from earlier studies. When I disobey and then I move to rebellion, the power of witchcraft and sorcery comes over us. And we don't even realize. We don't even realize. This is the power of sorcery. Where this world and its glitter and glamour appears real. While it is false. While it is false. It looks real. It looks very appealing. It looks very valuable when it is not. You need to realize some anything that is true or real never passes away. Never passes away. That's what we saw the last verse on Sunday in 1 John chapter 2 verse 17. The world is passing away. If this world is real, it won't pass away. 
if it is valuable, of really of God, in the image of God, it will not pass away. And the lust of it, all our desires connected with this world, it's also passing away. But he who does the will of God, he lives forever. He abides forever. So God is saying, that's the spirit of sorcery, that even after hearing so many messages, even after fasting for 31 days, when we step out into the world, the world looks so real, and we are led to different places. So, know this. This is a real battle everybody is caught in. Also know this, we are not fighting for victory. We are fighting from victory. Victory is not a destination for God's children. It is a beginning point for every child of God. Jesus already won the victory. Now we are standing in the victory and enforcing that victory in our own lives every day. We stand on that victory. And through his spirit, by the word, in faith, we enforce that victory each day. When we fail to enforce that victory, we fall, which we call sin. If I don't enforce that victory, when the temptation of the enemy comes, whatever ways he brings it, when I fail to enforce the victory of Christ Jesus, I fail, you fail. God calls it sin. Because what is the definition of sin for a believer? Whatever is not of faith is sin. Remember Romans 14.23. You should know your scriptures by now very well. Romans 14.23. Whatever is not of faith is sin. So basically meaning if you are a good student of the word of God for every action, every word you speak, you should be able to give scriptural support. should be able to say, it is written. And I believe therefore I am true. Not because I am true, but I am true because I am doing or saying according to what is written. Therefore, it will not pass away. I am doing the will of my Father. Okay. But when we fail, Scripture says in 1 John chapter 2, My little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, on the other hand, he says, I know you. You will fall. When you fall, remember, run to him. Because who is he? Your advocate. With the Father, Jesus the righteous. Don't hide in your sin. Don't lie in your sin. Don't refuse to acknowledge your sin. Don't refuse to confess your sin. Run to him. Acknowledge your sin because you have an advocate who will speak on your behalf to the Father. And when we confess, he is faithful and the blood of Jesus cleanses you of all sin and you rise up to fight another battle the next day. It is like the soldiers who get wounded in the battle. And they come back, they get treated, the next day they go back to fight. They don't let those wounds keep them down. They don't let those wounds. Okay, since children keep you down, you go back to the advocate, he is the healer, he is the forgiver, he is the empowerer. That's what grace is all about, not just forgiveness of sins, but empowering you to overcome sin. So in this battle, the word of God is aimed at encouraging those who are encased in the battle. The word of God is, everybody is encased in battle. The word of God is aimed at encouraging, don't give up. So Hebrews 12, 1 will say, you have a, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. Hebrews 11 is the list of all those who won in different areas of their life. You've got an incredible cloud of witnesses. Keep your eyes, be encouraged from them. Keep your eyes on them. 
you don't have to go to verse 2, but verse 2 will say, we have all these people, remember, learn from them, and verse 2 will say, keep your eyes on the greatest winner, that is Jesus Christ. But usually what happens in this world with even Christians, our eyes are not on the winners, our eyes are on the losers. Though they are called winners in this world, but in real terms, they are losers in eternity. God says, keep your eyes on the winners. Who are the winners? Starting with Abel onwards, then winners are listed in Hebrews 11. But what do Christian parents tell their children? They say, be like Bill Gates, be like Obama, be like this. They are losers. They are not winners. They are losers in the eyes of God. They are not winners. They are losers. In Luke chapter 12, verses 20 and 21, God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things which you have be which you have provided. So you see who lays up treasure for himself and it is not rich towards God. It doesn't matter. Put that this in context, our 21st century context. It doesn't matter how successful you are, person you are in the world, whether it is politics, academics, music, sports, business, any field. If they are only successful in the world, and not rich toward God, you are a fool. The world will say, keep your eye on them. God says, no, keep your eye on those who are listed here in Hebrews 11. They are the real winners. They may have been called losers here because they walk by faith, but they are real, real winners. Shakespeare in one of his play, I forgot which one, will talk about Caesar. Very sarcastic, I can't remember the exact line, when very sarcastic he says, somewhere in some graveyard, Caesar's skull, a rat has made his house. You need Shakespeare to show us uh, the vanity of this world. He says, no, it is true, once he must terrorize the whole world with his golden crown and his mighty army, but he says, now a rat has made house in his skull. Winners. And losers. See through God's eyes. Because if you don't, you will never overcome. So what we call winners in this world, God actually calls them losers. So the Bible gives us the entire list in Hebrews 11. Some of them will be look like extremely terrible losers. Those who were killed, those who were sawn into two, those who lived in the deserts and in the caves and in the rocks, covered just in sheepskins and hungry they look like losers. But God says, keep your eyes on them. They are the real winners. So we learn from them. In Romans 15 and verse 4, whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and the comfort of scriptures might have hope. When you read scripture and you are really reading scripture with your heart and seeing what God is telling, it gives you patience, it gives you comfort. But if you are reading the world and the newspapers, it brings you no comfort, it brings discomfort, and it brings impatience. So God says, the purpose of scripture. If you know the book of Job, he faced the fiercest battle, which no, hardly anybody ever faced. But even in his darkest hour, he chose to trust God. Those are the verses we remember from the book of Job. If anybody who has read the book of Job will remember two, three lines. One is, even though he slay me, yet I will serve him. The second one, my redeemer, 
lives. Even if this flesh is gone away, I know I will stand and behold my eyes will see him. And the third line he says, earlier my ears have heard about him, but now my eyes have seen him. Three powerful verses of a man who refused to quit in this walk of faith. And his restoration at the end for us is a spiritual example of those who will win and who will overcome and inherit in heaven. So the Bible is a record of winners and losers. There are losers. And God will talk about losers. A man who looked as incredible winner compared to his old uncle, Mr. Lot, thought he was a winner, but he was a loser at the end. And God will say, remember Lot's wife. Remember. Those are not winners. So there are winners and there are losers. So there will be so many voices we are listening to, but there is only one voice that is true. That is why the third, second question in the garden is, who told you? Who told you? Who told you? Where are you? Who told you? Whose voice have you listened? Who told you what you are doing? There's so many voices. And if we listen to the voice of God, and you trust him and you obey him, we know he's faithful. We can bank on his integrity. And if we believe, act and confess on what he has said, God says, you will be victorious. Examples. Goliath was a champion of many years. But on the other hand, God is the champion from ancient days. God has never lost a battle. David faced opposition from his own brother. He faced the discouragement of the king and the entire army. He was threatened by Goliath's appearance and words which was meant to intimidate. But he stood there and confessed what he believed. He didn't let any of these things make him take his eyes off God. Never. All this is physical reality which we will also face. His brothers, your own family may mock your faith. The king and the soldiers all trembled before Goliath. And Goliath himself was intimidating. Nine feet tall or more, all covered in bronze and hurling threats at him. But he kept his focus on what God's word says. Therefore he says, who is this uncircumcised man that he dare defy the armies of the living God? So God says, if you and I want to win consistently this battle against the flesh, the world and the enemy, we have to have a reset in our minds. In the computer people all know you have to reset. What is the first reset you need to do? Victorious spiritual life is the normal life, not abnormal. First, I'm called to victory. I'm not called to defeat. I'm not called to victory today and defeat for three days, then rise up and fight two more battles and fall again. No. Second Corinthians, the portion we read 2.14, it says, He lead who always who always, if you let him, he will always lead us in triumph. If you let him. If you let him lead. If you let him lead us, he will always lead. That reset has to take place here. That if I am not, you are not living spiritually, victoriously, then we are living below the privileges of the children of God. That's what scripture says. Everyone born of God overcomes this world. And when you are a child of God, remember, the devil is after our victory. Why? Because our victory shows his defeat in the heavenly places. 
Okay, he can say, okay, Jesus defeated me, but after all, he was the son of God. But what happens when a small little child of God defeats him and the whole of heaven sees it? Every day, God's children who are victorious are putting the devil and the principalities and the rulers to shame. Therefore, he doesn't want us to win. Because his victory, his defeat is exposed. That is why God says, beware of the devil. The devil will try every way possible to see that you don't fight. You don't stand on the strength of God and you don't win this battle. So he says, beware of the devil. Take your stand. Stand. Ephesians 6.11 will say, stand. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against what? The wiles. It's not a frontal battle because, you see, the frontal battle is between two equals. That's why Goliath came over there and said, come on. I know you guys, you can't fight me. If you have himmatheto, come. Face to face, let us fight. Everybody tremble. The devil knows the same thing about all God's children. You cannot, he cannot fight us face to face. Because he knows greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. He knows he cannot fight Christ. So what does he do? This is the trickery of the devil. The craftiness. The craftiness of the devil. So God says, take your stand. Stand. First you need to stand before you can fight. You need to stand. Why? The devil will try to take us from the word. That's where our victory comes from. From the word. Take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. He will try to take us from the word. Because if he, if he succeeds from taking you and me today from the word, then we don't have the power to resist him. Resist his temptations. And our flesh overpowers us. It's not that he overpowers us. The flesh overpowers us. So God says, stand. Stand. You need to understand, most battles, if you study history and if you study war of ancient days and all days, wars were never won mostly by large armies and superior strength. Wars were won by smarter armies. Smarter armies. I read long time back when Alexander conquered uh, Taxila. That was the old name of Kashmir where Porus was the king. And the Indian armies were coming. India, there was no India. It's a, it's a, it's a modern concept. There were many, many kingdoms. But when these armies came, and you need to realize, uh, Alexander was not even from Greece. He was from Macedonia. Today people don't even know where Macedonia is. It's a tiny little place, but he conquered the most of the world. Because of his superior skills. Superior skills and superior training. And it, you know, when he bought these battles, even with the Persians and when he fought these battles, we came with numbers and elephants. Kind of animals they had never seen before. And it would look impossible for this, his army to win. But he was smart. He said, you know what? You do one thing. He called the archers and said, shoot the elephants. When the elephants were wounded, they created havoc in their own army. And they won. So it is not necessarily numbers or anything. It is superior tactics. That's where God tells his children, you have the mind of Christ. Don't have the mind of this flesh. Do not have the mind of this world. Do not conform to the pattern of this world. Stand and manifest the mind of Christ which is revealed through the word. Stand. Take your stand. 
Take your stand. Understand. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 2. Through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Grace will always overcome. Grace is the power of the Holy Spirit. Not only does it forgive sins, but it gives you power to overcome sin. So scripture says, be smart. By faith you have access to the grace. And the throne room of God is called the throne room of grace. You have direct access to the power source of every victory fought in the spiritual realm. That is the grace of God. By faith, have access into the grace and stand in it. Stand. Stand there. In First Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you stand. Stand in the gospel. Stand in the good news you have heard. Don't waver from the gospel. That's why he's asking the Galatian church, who bewitched you that you have left the gospel so far when believing another gospel? Who bewitched you? There's only one gospel. There are not many gospels. Every other gospel is bad news, not good news. It's only one gospel that is true. God says, stand in the, Paul says, stand in the gospel that I have preached. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, scripture says, watch and stand fast in that faith. Because it is through faith we access everything from the kingdom of God. Stand fast in that faith. Be brave. Be strong, but you have to stand. To be brave and to be strong, you and I need to stand fast in the faith. And faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. And the next one, Second Corinthians 1, 24. Not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. That's the only way you can. The minute I have stepped from faith To sight, I may look, I am standing, but in the spiritual realm, you and I have fallen. You can only stand by faith. In Galatians 5.1, so he will say, stand therefore in the liberty which Christ has made us free. When you stand in faith, you are free. Where the Spirit is Lord, there is liberty. And do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. The devil doesn't bring a yoke and a snare. He makes it look like liberty. To your eyes, it looks you are going to be free, but you are not free. You are a slave. So God says, be careful. We know from Ephesians 6, three times he says, stand, 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 stand. That's the first step. You need to take a stand. Those who have not taken a stand will never progress further in this battle. You have to take a stand. You have to make up your mind. You have to decide and take a stand. That's it. I'm taking a stand. Another 10 days to go for your fasting. Take a stand. Take a stand. Take a spiritual stand. Take a stand of faith. In Philippians. Yeah, the next one. 27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Where does the unity come? Standing together for what? For the faith that comes from the gospel. Gospel produces faith. The good news produces faith. And God says stand in it because the devil will try to take you away from it and you have lost it. It doesn't matter what the world says about how great you are, how great our works are, but if you are not standing by faith, God says, you have fallen. 
In Philippians 4.1, Paul will say, Therefore, my, bro- my beloved, I long for brethren, my joy and crown, stand fast in the Lord, beloved. You go through it, you will see so many places. Where I'm just giving a few references so that you know. The call of God first before you can fight is to stand. If you are not able to stand, we will not be able to fight. In Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 15, Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or by our epistle. Whether we personally came and taught to you, or whether we wrote an epistle to you, either whatever you are taught, stand fast in it. Do not deviate from it. In First Peter chapter 5 and verse 12, God says, by Silvanus, our faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. Stand in faith, stand in the grace. He says, every time you are a winner, the devil cannot do anything against true faith and true grace. And the devil doesn't want any child of God to stand in faith and resist him because he knows the power of Christ. But that's exactly what God wants to show in the spiritual realm. Spiritual realm. That's why God also waited 80 years in the Old Testament pictures. 80 years in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 20 if I'm right. 80 years he waited until Moses was an old man and a weak man. And then this weak man, God will say, said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand. What do you have? One stick. One Latin. Old man. Older brother. You can't speak. He will speak for you. Two trembling old men with one stick. Stand before the mightiest man on earth. Representative, representative of the devil. And tell him, let my people go. That's what scripture says. His strength is perfected in our weakness. That's where God gets the glory. God gets the glory. So he uses various tactics. The various tactics, as Paul calls it, the wiles of the enemy, so that we may not stand and resist him. Resist him. Therefore God says, understand his tactics. What are the wiles of the devil? Understand his tactics. We saw from Galatians that portion we says one of the way he does is he's done from the beginning is to entice. What does how do you entice somebody? It is by one of the ways it's by making something that is dangerous look special. I know all of you who are part of the GDC WhatsApp group. Brother Alan had sent you. Remember that one about the guy, the the, the little fish and the big fish. When a fisherman wants to catch a fish, he has a bait. But the bait looks really good. It looks like an insect that is moving and floating, but inside there is a hook. And every bait is not the same. The bait is made according to the fish he wants. All fish don't go for the same bait. All fish don't go for the same bait. They don't all eat the same kind of stuff. They eat different kind of stuff. So the fisherman frames a bait according to the fish. The devil entices each one according to the fish you are. 
It's not the same weight. What does he do? He makes what is dangerous look special. Look special. Makes it look special. In the, that's the beginning, enticement. From the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, all the fruits were there. One was forbidden. One was dangerous for Adam and Eve. God said, if you eat, you will surely die. He made it look special. He says, no, look at it. Isn't it cool to the eyes? Doesn't look tasty. Doesn't it look tasty? And you know, if you eat it, you will be like God. Enticement. Enticed. One forbidden fruit, he made it look special. Enticement. Watch out for enticement in your workplaces. That's how extramarital affairs begin. The devil will make a man or a woman in your workplace look special, more special than your spouse. Drugs, alcohol, anything, anything in this world, which deep inside you know is forbidden. There is a check in your spirit. You know deep inside, what is it? You know. That my father is not pleased with it. Modern, not modern. Now, modern day parents also have changed. So I cannot even use modern day parents because they also have changed. But let's say take 10, 15 years ago. I have heard these stories about children. You know, they know their father and their mother are very conservative, but they want to go for a party and says, Daddy, I have to go for a birthday party. And Daddy says, go. But they go, so go from school and come back. And God says, okay, my child is going in the uniform, but in the backpack there are other clothes. The kind of clothes which even the father doesn't know. The mother doesn't know the child owns. Why is they hiding it? Because there is a check in your spirit. My father doesn't approve of it. My mother doesn't approve it. In the same way, any believer who's been in the word for a couple of years, there is a check in the spirit. You don't have to tell them what your father in heaven likes or not. If you have heard the true gospel, you know my father in heaven doesn't like That is why every one of you are so wonderfully dressed in church. And many are not on weekdays. Why? Because you know your pastor will pick you. There is a check. Enticement. Drugs. Anything can be an enticement. It makes it very, very Look very special what is very dangerous. There is another enticement which is dangerous for people who are believers and a little stronger or grown in knowledge. What he will do is, this is not taking something that is dangerous in terms of which can actually kill you and make it look special, something that is forbidden, make it look special. It is taking something that is holy and make it look common. This is a subtlety, the trap in which people in ministry are caught. In Ezekiel 44 and verse 23, God says, They shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy, and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean. 
One of the primary purposes of the ministry is to show the difference between what is holy and what is common. Holy and what is common. What does the devil do? If the devil cannot entice you in the first one, what does he try to entice you into in the second one? What is that? To consider what is holy as common. Not as bad, but as common. In Leviticus 10.10, God, these are principles, okay, in the kingdom, that you may distinguish between the holy and unholy, between the unclean and the clean. In Jeremiah, God will tell the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 15 and verse 90, Therefore, thus says the Lord, if you return, then I will bring you back. You shall stand before me. If you return, I will bring you back. But stand before me. If you take out the precious from the wild, you have mixed it up. You have mixed up what is precious and what is, you have mixed it up. Separate the precious from the wild. You shall be as my mouth. Let them return to you, but you must not return to them. You can go preach to them, you can do everything, but remember, you are preaching to a mixed multitude. Let them come to you obeying your word, but you don't go to them and become part of them. Ministers, be careful, he's saying. That's what Abraham tells Elias says, what happens if the girl doesn't come back? He says, you know what? My son will not go back. I'm trusting God will give you success for your journey. My son will not go back, but she will come to him. She will come to him. So those who are in ministry have been called to go, separate the precious from the wild. He says, if they listen, let them come to you. But you don't Go to them and become a part of it. Don't. So what does the devil do? The devil either makes something that is dangerous look special or he will take that is something holy and make it look common. Make it common. And then trouble comes. So remember, when we know the wiles of the devil, the wiles of the enemy, one of the way he entices people because we don't have discernment. We don't have discernment. Discernment comes from the word and discernment comes from the spirit. And when we exalt these two up above everything else in your life, God starts showing. Starts showing. Okay. Second thing he does, which we know very well, he deceives. Deception. But we look at a different way in other ways in which he deceives. Second Corinthians chapter 11 verse 14. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms into an angel of light. He is not an angel of light, but this deceiver, this accuser, transforms into an angel of light. Deception. Jeremiah 14, 14. And the Lord said to me, the prophets prophesy lies in my name. I have not sent them commanded them, not spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, worthless thing, and the deceit of their heart. This is the original fake news. Those who follow news will understand what is fake news. This is the original fake news. These guys will come and give fake news, as if that is the real news. God says, you know what? Beware of them. Beware of them. Beware of the stuff that you hear. Does it actually agree with scripture? So many Christians in the 21st century has been fooled by this. Because you exalt the voice you hear on TV about this. 
I'm not saying you shouldn't listen. But once you know that man is speaking in error, the spirit in him is the spirit of the world, shut it out. Don't listen to him again. Because listen to those people and you're feeling so good in your flesh, that's a lie. That's a lie. God never makes you feel good in the flesh. He'll never. Those people who will never preach about the cross and the cost of following Jesus Christ are all fake. But our flesh loves it. That's why scripture says Satan will come transforming himself as an angel of light. Not true light, but false. He's an imitator. Understand that. He's a counterfeiter. The original fellow who counterfeits is Satan. Everything that God does, he wants to counterfeit. And we have to understand the danger we are caught in if we truly not exalt the word of God and the spirit of God in our lives above everything else. Everything else. Not even the church. The church is only a third part. That's not as high as the word and the spirit. The word and the spirit lift it up. How the devil imitates so that we understand how he deceives. God has only one begotten son. Agreed? Only one begotten son. His name is Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 3. Let no one deceive you by any means for the day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition. The devil also has one begotten son. He is called the son of perdition. All the sons and daughters of God are hidden in the son of God. Every son and daughter of the devil is hidden in the son of perdition. So if God sees us as one body, a corporate being, he also sees the world as one body, a corporate being, the son of perdition. If ultimately within the body of Christ, Jesus will rule and reign from the heart, ultimately the devil will enter into every heart and rule in the sons and daughters of perdition through their hearts. So understand he duplicates and be very careful. We are not deceived. One is the son of salvation, the other is the son of perdition. One is the source of salvation, the other is the son of perdition. That's why God says, walk by faith. If there is the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, there is also unholy Trinity. In Revelation 20 and verse 10, the devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The devil, the beast, and the false prophet. Like the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has what on earth? A church, invisible, nobody knows who are the church, other than God himself, the pure, spotless, which is being made. That church, the devil also has a church, which is the woman riding the beast. Okay, see, understand, he duplicates. That's also a church, this is also a church. That church is under authority, under submission. This one, for glamour, the devil will say, you ride my back. Show them, you have authority, you have power. One is shown by the ostentatious outplay of power and display. There is no submission, there is no humility, nothing in that church. Watch out. No scripture. Watch out. There are children of God. Those who are born of Christ are children of God. And Matthew 13 and verse 38 says, 
there are also children of the wicked one. God has children. The devil also has children. In 1st Timothy 3.6 No, not that one. The mystery of godliness. 3.16 3.16, I'm sorry. My ready reference is there. The mystery of godliness. If there is a mystery of godliness in the book of Revelation, and chapter 7, uh, sorry, not chapter 7, no. Second Thessalonians 2, 7. For the mystery of lawlessness of iniquity. There are two mysteries. Both are mysteries. God's children are pursuing what? The mystery of godliness. And the enemy's children are pursuing what? The mystery of lawlessness. Honestly, it's a mystery. You look at, we are living, I'm told, I'm telling you over the most blessed era ever in human history. That even the ancient kings and emperors did not have what we have. We have AC and we have everything. Microwaves, TVs, vehicles, nothing with the early generations. The most knowledgeable, even children know today what emperors did not know. We have knowledge, we have technology, we have everything. Yet the people are only growing more and more and more lawless. Why? It's a mystery. While my rational mind thinks that if there is more prosperity, more technology, more knowledge, more wisdom, more schooling, more education, people should be all more and more law-abiding. No. It's not happening. It's becoming lawless. More and more and more and more and lawless. The more they study, the more lawless they are becoming. What is that? It's a mystery. It's a mystery. On the other hand, within the church also, you will see there is a set of people in the worldwide church who are becoming daily more and more and more and more ungodly in an incredibly ungodly world. How can that be? That's also a mystery. It's also a mystery. A mystery of godliness. Mysteries side by side. Then scripture says in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 3, he says, he seals the servants of God on their head. We are sealed, invisible. Seal the servants of God. And Revelation 13, 16, scripture says, He also seals his servants on their head. He duplicates everything. God seals, he also seals. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, God has revealed to them, to us, through his spirit, for the spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. There are deep things of God, very deep, deep, it's like the ocean, deeper than the ocean. And if you are willing to be led by, like Ezekiel was led, picture for us in the lead, are you only happy with ankle deep water and you jump back? Or that's, for your, that's your call. But if you can be led, you will be taken into deeper and deeper and deeper, deep things of God. Devil says, man, I also won't be far behind. So in a church, in the book of Revelation, what does scripture say? Now to you, I say to the rest in theater, as many as do not have the doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan. He also has depths of Satan. In the occult, there are depths of Satan. First level, second level, sixth level, you can go up, go up. Finally, you are a 33rd level Freemason. Depths of Satan. Wow. Depths of Satan. 31st level you suddenly realize I am worshipping 
one mentioned the name at the 32nd level you realize you are worshiping one of the gods of india at the 33rd level you realize i am worshiping lucifer himself depths of satan how are you how are you enticed you enticed in the first level by a so called christian who told you come there you will have business opportunities you can meet that's where you began by the time you end you're finished for eternity depths of satan depths of god depths of satan be careful be careful the devil imitates in second thessalonians in the gospels and we know jesus does miracles and the bible tells us in second thessalonians chapter 9 the coming of the lawless one according to the working of satan with all power signs and lying wonders lying powers miracles signs lying wonders why is it a lying wonder what is a lying wonder and a true wonder now let us say there was a board over there saying jeevan jyoti okay and let us say peter was really mad with me today evening and he decided okay he i have invited 10 new people to come to jeevan jyoti as a take the lane from ni come turn left and that is jeevan jyoti he took the board and put it in front of some other place and everybody comes over there and they are sitting there there is no meeting there why he removed the board jesus said every miracle in the gospel according to john jesus said every miracle is a sign pointing you to a deeper and a deeper and a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ that's the purpose of a miracle what does the devil do he is a lying wonder the sign doesn't take you any closer to Jesus it ends up with the sign understand the devil duplicates Jesus we know Christ is seated on the right hand side of the father on a throne In Revelation 2:13 scripture says Satan too has a throne. You have a throne, I will also have a throne. Christ has a church. Christ has a church. Devil says I am more kosher than you. In Revelation 2 and verse 9 scripture says I have a synagogue. synagogue accept synagogue means a gathering place okay god says god says i have the church devil says i have a synagogue synagogue of the devil christ is the light of the world the devil says in second corinthians which we read 11 and verse 14 he says not 11 14 not 1 11 14 he transforms himself as an angel of light transform emptors if christ appointed the apostles and told them go to the ends of the world preach baptize make disciples and teach them to obey exactly what i told in this entire mission trip in nepal i said i don't care if you have persecution the great commission is to make disciples of people great commission is what sare log sansar ko chela banana vishwasi nahi we made believers we didn't make disciples that's the problem why is the church with no power because there are no disciples very few disciples all are believers to make a believer is very easy jesus died for you believe in the lord jesus christ you will be saved you are a believer a disciple 
or the standard is different. Unless you learn to love God with all your heart more than your father, your mother, your wife, your children, even to hate yourself, pick your cross and follow, you cannot be a disciple. God says, give me ten disciples like that, I will change this whole world all over again. Believers don't change the world, disciples do. Always, everywhere. So the God has his disciples. And what does the next word say, Richie? Apostles, for there are false apostles. Devil also has workers, deceitful workers. False apostles, God has apostles, devil has apostles. Only thing it is, false apostles. We have Christian workers, the devil also has workers. Understand, the devil does everything that God does and therefore they don't come dressed in the devil's costume. That only happens during Halloween. They come like anybody else. So how do you know? How do you know? Scripture says in Philippians 3.20 Our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait. The spirit of God in a church will make heaven so Feeling there is an eagerness for heaven and for Christ. And then God says in Revelation 21 verse 7, If you keep that and focus and win your battle, then everything he who overcomes shall inherit all. What does the devil do? He doesn't make the kingdom of God appealing at all. He makes this world very, very appealing. And then if you are really high up in the hierarchy, he will tell you, if you worship me, I'll give it to you. Both sides. God makes the kingdom and Christ appealing to our eyes and we fight this battle. He says, you overcome, you inherit all. The devil makes the whole world look so glamorous to our eyes and says, if you worship me, I will. And he did it with Jesus. Even Jesus, he did. But he failed. In Matthew 4, verse 8 and 9, scripture says, took him exceedingly high, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And their glory. And their glory. That's what. Honestly, if you don't believe me, one day you will believe. When faith becomes sight, you will realize all these big, big stars in the world who have got millions and millions of followers. That's how they became great in this world. It is not out of talent. But there are many talented people in the world. It's not out of talent. It's because there was an exchange. There was an exchange. Remember the concert that took happened in Manchester? I don't even know that girl's name. Who's... Crowds had gone to see her concert. Did you see her costume? What's she wearing on her head? Why is she wearing that on her head? What does she have on her head? Two horns. Doesn't come like that. In the world, you want to go up. God says, the devil says, you worship me. Others will lie there in somewhere swinging the game. But those who really go up in the world without Christ, you know, there is a deal being done. And you have to re- remain loyal to him. You don't remain loyal to him, he will throw you out. Because he makes it very clear. I will give it to you. It's mine. I can give it to you whom I choose. It's mine. I can give it to you. So don't get fooled by anything of the devil. Don't get fooled. That's how he deceives. He deceives. Deception. Understand. He can deceive through preachers who will come as preachers of righteousness. But they are not. Remember the old prophet? In the book of Kings? 
Young prophet had been sent and God had said very clearly, speak it, turn around and go, don't eat and drink. What did the old prophet do? He came. What did he do? First Kings 13. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. He was lying to him. Did the young man die? How did he die? Because an older prophet came and told, he wouldn't have listened to anybody else, but when the older prophet came and told him, that angel appeared to me and told and has changed what God has already told you, he changed his way and he died. Are you kidding? That's why Paul says in Galatians 1, he says, he's very clear, he's quoting from memory and from scripture. He was a Hebrew. He knew what to say. I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. He says, there's so many others coming and preaching a different gospel. He says, so quickly you have changed from the gospel, which is not another, but there are some who, yeah, which is not, yeah, which is not another, but there are some who trouble you, want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. Let him be cursed. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. It's just not even, even if an angel comes and changes the gospel of Christ. Any gospel you hear from anybody, check the sermon on the mount and see if it tallies with it. Look at the big crowds you see on TV in the big, big, big churches, young preachers, big churches, and listen to their testimony. They will say, an angel told me. And they have perverted the grace of God. Everybody's starting point, they will talk about, they had an encounter and God told them to go this way. But their way is taking masses from the truth of God's word. And many of you sitting here listen to them too, including Joseph Prince and Joy Austin. Go back, check their testimonies, what they say. That's why Paul's saying, even if I come tomorrow and preach another gospel, don't listen to me. What I gave to you first is of God. Even I can be deceived. Deception is spreading, 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 spreading. Be careful, be watchful. That's what the Bible is talking about. How an old prophet led to the death of a man who had heard from God. Don't. Enticement. Deception, the wiles of the enemy. There is another one. What was the third one I told you? Yeah, deception, enticement. Yeah, third one. Third one is, you despise your inheritance. You take it very lightly. In the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, the double portion, the inheritance was for the elder son. In the New Testament, because we are all hidden in the eldest son, we have been promised an inheritance. In Romans 8, verse 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be glorified together. Condition is this, you have to suffer. In most parts of the free world, suffering you preach, they will walk out of the church and they will never call you back again. Because they have received another gospel. What do they do? They have learned to despise their inheritance. In the Old Testament, we will see in Hebrews, sorry, New Hebrews about Old Testament characters. Hebrews 12 and verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator 
or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. He just sold his. He just sold it. What does scripture mean? First Chronicles 5 and 1. Now these were the sons of David who were born to him. No. It's, you put three. I think I said five, right? Five one son. First Chronicles 5 1. Got it? Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph. Why did he lose his birthright? Because he was a fornicator. He slept with his father's concubine. What did God do? Took his birthright away. So let no one be like Reuben, actually, a fornicator, and Esau. What did Esau do? Genesis? Yeah. Esau, we know. He, I mean, we don't have to go to Genesis. We know what did Esau do? Esau sold his birthright for a morsel of food. And Genesis 49, verse 2, gather together and hear you sons of Jacob and listen to your father. And then subsequently, he will first talk about Reuben. What is the first thing he says about Reuben? The firstborn. Can I have the next verse? What does he say about Reuben? Or oh, come down. Yeah, keep going down. Let's see where which verse it comes to. This is the problem with technology. No, no, you have to come down to three, my son. Yeah? Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. This is what you are meant to be. Unstable as water. Unstable. You are unstable. You shall not excel. Why? Because. No, 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 no. Verse 3. Because you went to your father's bed. If Esau and Reuben were preachers today, what would they tell us? They would tell us, don't throw away your inheritance like we did. Don't throw away your inheritance. That's how the devil does. He fools people by anything of the flesh so that they throw away the inheritance is hidden in Christ. Drag you away. Inheritance. Understand spiritual. What is physical in the scripture in the Old Testament has much more depth and meaning in the new covenant. It is much more, not just physical, it is spiritual. In Revelation chapter 14 verses 4 to 5, these are the overcomers. These are the ones who were not defiled with women. For they are virgins. Defiled with women. So that doesn't mean overcomers are only men. These women here talks about false churches and false doctrines. They did not get defiled by that. They had discernment and when they fell, they rose. They kept on cleansing themselves. By the time when it came, they were presented blameless to Jesus in spirit, soul and body. That's the promise in First Thessalonians chapter 5. That he is faithful. And he will sanctify us, so spirit, soul, and body, and present us blameless before Christ. And these are the people. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God. They are among Jesus, the first fruits. Jesus is the first fruit, they are also first fruits. In their mouth was found no deceit, for they are without fault. They are not perfect, they are 
without fault, they are blameless. They are blameless. They understood the power and the seduction of this world. And they did not, they did not fall in love with this world. The devil has tried his, by, by the word women over there, he means the world. Because in James chapter 4, James will tell the church, you adulteresses and adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the devil knows this. And people need to know this. And we need to fight this good fight. I personally believe in the light of scripture. There are many trophies on the way. The highest trophy is what? Paul says, for the reason which Christ Jesus took hold of me, to be the bride of Christ. And I personally believe many, many believers will be disqualified over simple things. One, food. Second, drink. Third, clothes. I'm not in that order. I'm first footing the simple things before we get into complex. Food, drink, clothes, sex, comfort or ease, and love of money. These things will bring people disqualification. Why? Check the history of Israel. Who are the ones who are disqualified? Those over food, over drink, over money, over sex, over clothes, over comfort. Simple things. We look at it as simple, but God says, I put you in a race. I put you in a race. All these things are the things the enemy uses. Enemy uses. In First Peter chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, First Peter chapter 4. Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourself also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. 31 days into your fasting, are you fighting over food? If you genuinely were fasting, no. You have suffered in the flesh, so you have overcome your craving for food, if your craving was a sin. He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from See, the devil comes and preaches a new gospel. You don't have to suffer anymore. Christ has suffered. He has given you a liberty to go do sh- no, shop till you fall, eat till you die, drink till you cannot walk. Do whatever you want because that is grace. God understands. God says, no, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Ceased from sin. What does my flesh appeal to? What in the world appeals to my flesh? The world has so many things in its commodity. In its shopping complex, it has many things. What appeals to my flesh? Scripture says, He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. That he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. Will of God. The serious things in the Bible. Very, very serious things in the Bible. I will just go through that and finish it off. Okay, so third thing he says, don't despise your inheritance. The devil knows what your inheritance is. So he will use the world and your flesh so that you start despising your inheritance. Esau despised his inheritance. Reuben despised, took it away. Despise means to take it very lightly. I'm hungry. What's the point of my inheritance? If I don't eat, I will die. As if you're going to die. Took it very lightly. Both Reuben and Esau are put across as examples. Why? Esau is the firstborn of Isaac. Reuben is the firstborn of Jacob. Both firstborn. Both lost. Because they had no control over their 
flesh. Okay. Don't take these things lightly. These are very serious. How I told everywhere the pastors, you know what? You can come through every experience of victory of God in Egypt. Come through the Red Sea. Go through the 40 years of the wilderness. Absolutely separated from the world. And then see the victory of Jericho. The walls fall down. You did everything. And then you see a Babylonian garment and fall for it. And you're killed. You think garment doesn't have power? Try go shopping with your money full of, pocket full of money. And see if it can stop you. Akan, after all this, couldn't resist. Not an Israelite garment. A Babylonian garment. I always said, what was this idiot thinking? Where are you going to wear this? Where everyone in your community is wearing those God-prescribed dress with the blue tassel. Where are you going to wear this Babylonian garment? Where are you thinking of wearing this? Use your common sense, man. He didn't even think. It just took over. And he's gone. One bar of gold and one garment. God says, kill him and destroy that abomination from my sight and his family. So these things have real power. Real power. Otherwise we are not enticed by them. Have real power. These little food, clothing, water, drinking, you know, ease, comfort, ease. Ease. Ease will kill most people. That's why God is telling, Paul is telling Timothy, 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 endure hardship has discipline. You want to survive? End your hardship. You should be live anywhere under any circumstances. When you have ease, ease. When you, when you have comfort, have comfort. When you have don't comfort, don't back off. So he says, I know how to abound. I know how to abase. should know both. No. Today gospel you hear is not that. Only how you abound. And abound and abound. Now the pot bellies are so big. They, I don't know. They walk by faith now. Because if you finally preach that gospel, you will end up like that gospel. The third, fourth thing, beware of numbers. Beware of numbers. Because it's a human psychology. We have what is called herd mentality. Most normal people whom they will ever think of doing, do things in a crowd. In a crowd. The best kid over here, if he's not like Daniel, you put him and put him in a crowd. The crowd goes berserk. He has no clue what has happened. He looks, why did I break? Why did I throw the stone at the police? Later he's sitting in the thana wondering, why did I do it? The mob. The mob. Because there is this inbuilt thing in our heads, which is from the devil, that more the number, they must be right. Might is right. Number heto must be right. Even prophets struggled with that. Remember Micaiah in the Old Testament? Do you remember that guy? First Kings chapter 22, 13 and 14. Two prophecies from the same mouth. Then the messenger who had gone called to call Micaiah spoke to him saying, Now listen, the words of the prophets with are in one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of the one of them and speak encouragement. He says, hey, listen. Listen, dude. You're not the only prophet in town, okay? There are 400 others. The king has called you to, but all of them agree with one prophecy. Now, you don't go and throw. Agree with them. Agree with them. Go and agree with them, okay? So, Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. He says, he's first, he's, he hasn't seen the crowd yet. He says, no, 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 whatever the Lord says, I will speak. Then he goes there. Verse 15. Then he came to the king and the king said, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth, Gilead or shall we refrain? And he answered, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. That's exactly what the other 400 said. (laughs) 
Honestly, I am telling you, I have met so many young pastors. They started well, they were good, they were heart and all. Then they see all these TV preachers flaunting their crowd and flaunting their offerings and flaunting everything and they slowly started changing the message. And they are miserable people and they will come and say, Pastor, when you came and preached, we know, we know every word you say is true, but we don't know what to do. They come, number. Because you look at those names and their crowds and say, this one is saying you to one channel. He's saying, next one, he's also saying, all of them are saying, maybe they are true, and I am wrong. But, what you believe is from this, no? Yes, then how can you be wrong? But they're all saying something else, and they're all sounding the same. Numbers. Numbers. Be very careful, from the first judgment of Noah, to Sodom and Gomorrah, to Israel in the desert, to the princes of Judah in Babylon. To the crowds that followed Jesus, every point God showed the crowd was wrong. The crowd was wrong. Ask Noah, you'll say the crowd was wrong. Ask Lot, the crowd was wrong. Ask Moses, the crowd was wrong. Ask Daniel, the crowd was wrong. Ask Jesus, the crowd was wrong. Today they will say, come and lay their gowns and say, Hosanna, Hosanna to the Son of God. Couple of days later, crucify him. You want to see it in drama? Read Julius Caesar. Read Caesar. The crowd is all been this thing. Listen to those people speak and they are saying, yes, Caesar was this. Caesar should have died, everything. And Mark Antony says, please, 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 allow me to speak over his dead body. I will not say anything bad about you. I will not say anything bad about you people who kill. I will only say good about you. And he comes and he speaks over that dead body. And he uses sarcasm to the best. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. These are all honorable men. Honorable man. The evil that men do lives after their death. But the good is oft interred with their bones. So it was with Caesar. What did he mean? Caesar was actually good. These guys are bad. By the time he finishes, the whole mob is inflamed. Rome is in flames. They want to kill everybody. How? Two, two speakers. One. Do you see the mob? See the mob? That's exactly what happened with Jesus too. And God says, don't get fooled by the mob. Because so many people get fooled by the mob. Don't look at the crowds. Don't look at the ambience. Listen carefully to what that man is preaching. Listen carefully. Test his word. Test his spirit. And then say, Lord, that is true according to your word. I will listen. Otherwise, like Carter Conlon priest in 2011, run for your life. Run for your life. Are we getting the picture? I think I'll stop there today. There are more, but we will stop there today. Okay? So remember the wiles of the enemy. Wiles of the enemy. There are different, different things the devil does. One more and I will finish. Anyway, tomorrow is first now. So last day of May, we have AC2. Okay. Another thing what he does. Strategy of secrecy. The devil makes people comfortable as long as no one knows about it and finds about it, it is fine. Makes you feel, okay, I sinned, but nobody knows about it. Nobody knows about it. 
nobody will find about it either so you live and slowly die in your sin in the first church it wouldn't happen because the truth and the power of god was so powerful so scripture says Ananias and Sapphira, what they did was in absolute secrecy. Peter looked at them and said, why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? Why did you lie to the Holy Spirit? You think you could do it in secret? Nobody would know. Nobody would know. That's what Hebrews 4, 12, 13 says. There is nothing hidden from the eye. In his sight, there is no creature hidden from his sight. But all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing. But the devil makes you so blind to the spiritual reality. And you live in your physical reality. You come to church and everybody says how wonderful. And the worst part of it, the worst part of it is this. The worst part of it in so many churches. What happened? You are living in your hidden sin. And then this preacher comes over there. And when you go to pray to him, he prays over you and prophesies prosperity over you. Then you feel even more comfortable. I'm fine. Even God has approved of me. That's why I told everywhere, the woman at Samaria, Jesus said, go get your husband. She said, I have none. He said, truly have spoken. You have no husband because you had five. Now you're living with your boyfriend. And she said, you must truly be a prophet. You have brought what was hidden to the light. There are those prophets Joseph did not fall for this device of the devil. In Genesis 39, verse 9, Joseph says, There is no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I understand, ma'am, what you are saying. First thing, let me tell you. My master, my boss has trusted me. He has trusted me. And I will not break that trust. But what you are saying is, I understand nobody will know, maybe even if you and I decide to keep our mouth shut, the master also won't know. But, but, there is somebody who will always know. I will not sin in secret. And I will not break that trust. Understand the different wiles of the enemy. Don't fall for any. And if you have fallen, God says, if you come to me, you have an advocate. If you confess, I forgive you. I cleanse you. You receive more grace and you start overcoming. Because you were not born for defeat. You were born to to be defeated. But you were born again to win. Born again to win. Otherwise, you will have a miserable existence as a believer. You know Christ, but you don't experience his life. And his life, like Abel's daughter, is Zoe. I have come to give you life. Life in abundance. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Everyone who is born of God overcomes the world. For this purpose, the Son of Man came that you would destroy the works of the devil. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. You shall trample upon snakes, scorpions, and they shall by no means harm you. Look at the promises. That's why we are called in Christ more than conquerors. In Christ. We win over sin, 
win over the devil, we win over the world, and God says every day the devil is exposed. Devil is exposed. Amen? Shall we pray? Father, this evening we just thank you. We thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord. Help us open our eyes, open our ears, that we might truly know the greatness of your calling in our lives. Call to be overcomers. Call to victory. Because of who we are in Christ. Outside of Christ, we can do nothing but in Christ. Your word says you lead us in triumph. Always. Help us to stay hidden in Christ. And Christ alone. Teach us to die to our flesh. And to this world every day. That Christ might live in us. And he is the light of this world. Thank you, thank you, Father. We thank you once again for your faithfulness in our lives these five months. Tomorrow, Father, as we start another day, if you give us life, we pray you will go before us as individuals, as families, and as a church and our churches and all your churches around the world. Go before us, Lord. Lead us, show us, teach us, and empower us that we may walk in your ways and find life every day. Thank you, Lord. Thank you once again. We give you the glory, the honor, the power, and the praise. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.